Welcome. I'm Tavi Fulkerson, and this is Too Tough to Fail. Too Tough to Fail is a podcast about conquering personal and professional challenges. You'll meet people from all walks of life who share a defining moment in which their lives were changed forever with unexpected and transforming consequences. Their stories are uplifting, demonstrating strength and resilience against all odds. We celebrate these special people and the important stories they have to tell. Today, let's meet someone who is too tough to fail. On Too Tough to Fail today, I'll be talking to Fahim Safi. He serves as a senior advisor for the Adventist Development and Relief Agency and really is involved with the monitoring, evaluation, accountability, and learning, or what they call MEAL, which has a lot to do with refugee activities, camps, how to help people who are refugees that end up in the United States. Um, So welcome to our program, Fahim. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. Your profile was of great interest to me, considering there's so many things going on right now with refugees. Tell us a little bit about your story. I'm originally from Afghanistan during the 80s when Soviet Union tried to invade Afghanistan, millions of Afghans, like my family, migrated to the neighboring countries. So my family became a refugee in Pakistan. So I was born in a refugee camp. I spent about 12, 13 years in a refugee camp. I remember we did not have a a school initially in in that camp, and then some of the humanitarian organizations built a school for for the refugees there, and I was able to go to school, uh, to an elementary school there. How old were you when you started um, getting in education? I believe I was nine years old. Well, you know, nine years old is a little bit older than most kids who go to school. Before you went to school, were you being taught how to read and write, or was that something that you had to begin once you were nine years old? My elder brother, who was in a high school, in a different school, so he helped me learn uh, reading and writing, and that was helpful. When I started back school, it, it helped me a lot. What are your earliest memories before you started school in the refugee camp about what it was like? Well, refugees, we all know, have to leave their home country, go to a different uh, country, or, uh, you know, within even different places within those countries. So life for refugees is not easy, and no matter where you live or what camps you are. So, you know, with limited resources, uh, not having enough, for example, to feed your family. Uh, so there were a lot of challenges. You know, you don't have a home. We had to start living in a in a tent that was provided by UNHCR because they were helping a lot of refugees in that those camps. Gradually, the uh, situation got a bit better, but uh, not much better. So It may sound like a little bit of a crazy question, but were you able to have play and and fun among the other children that were there? Not a lot of fun. I remember uh, one of the humanitarian organizations gave us some soccer balls that time. Mm. So that was, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of families in in those camps. So the only 
fun we had, you know, get along with, you know, play with those kids in those camps. And when uh, a humanitarian organization visited the, the camp, they, they gave us those soccer balls and we, we, you know, we were very happy, you know, started playing with those other refugee kids in, in that camp. So that was the only entertainment we have because you don't have electricity or, you know, uh, these other yeah entertainment resources that you could use. How did it all end? How did you and the family end up leaving? You know, after a few years being in that refugee camp, my father was able to get a job. So after a few years, I believe I was 14 when we he left the camp and were able to rent a house in, in Pakistan. But we were still refugees because they don't have, like, based on their law they don't give you for example citizenship or although you were born in that country so they don't do that we were still refugees but we were able to afford a a little bit better house where you know in our better school but then eventually when 9-11 happened and the u.s came to afghanistan in uh, around 2002 we moved back to our country afghanistan so I spent my teenager age up to 17 years in Pakistan before we moved back to Afghanistan. When you were able to move to a house from a tent, what were your feelings? What, what struck you when you realized you were actually in a house? It was a wonderful feeling. I mean, you, you have like more facilities and resources, especially having electricity in a house where I was able to study at night. You had running water, for example, or you you have a kitchen to cook. So it was a wonderful feeling for me, for my family. We were in much, much better position compared to living in a refugee camp in a tent. That was, I think, a blessing. Afghanistan as a country, what was that like versus where you were? Well, Afghanistan is a very beautiful country. I mean, if you Google Afghanistan before 80s, before the Russians and I mean, the Soviet Union invaded the country, it was one of the peaceful, beautiful, democratic country in the world uh, with a lot of resources, educated people, beautiful country. I mean, war has change everything in that country. So as I said, millions, millions of Afghans had to leave their country because they could have been killed. I lost a lot of family members uh, during those wars in the country. When we moved back in 2002, it was right in the war time because, you know, U.S. was there, you know, their army, and they were trying to, uh, you know, help Afghans rebuild the country. So again, you know, things were not easy. Life was not easy there. You know, everything was destroyed, the infrastructure, road, everything, schools. But gradually, eventually, things got much better. You know, people got jobs. You know, they were able to get good, you know, income. And I think that has changed a lot of things in that country. I'm happy to hear that. But again, you're still very young. When you get to Afghanistan, a young man, really. Yeah. Uh, Were you living in fear on a daily basis? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I moved back, I was a high school student in 11th grade that time. 
but since I could speak English, uh, I uh, learned English in Pakistan. So I was able to get a job in Afghanistan, right in my high school with a humanitarian organization. And that's how I started my you know, humanitarian journey uh, working for a nonprofit organization. I was studying in a night school, like they call it night schools there, and working during the day. Because of my English, I didn't have any job experience, work experience. Uh, I knew nothing, but, you know, they needed people with English skills. And that's how I, you know, I learned working back with humanitarian. I wanted, because coming from a refugee background, you know, I wanted to work for a humanitarian organization to help and serve others. So fear was part of our job because... It's an everyday life there where you don't know when they will attack you or they will kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, several times I, you know, in our an office near our building was attacked by, by those bad people, destroyed. So when I was working there, we had a bulletproof jacket with the with the helmet, and we we uh, that you know we had to wear them in case if an explosion happens or if they want to attack your office and we we had a they call it safe room like a bulletproof kind of safe room so we had to run to that room so you know in order to be safe from those attacks these were very normal things in afghanistan at that time is the group that you started working with adra no, it was a local NGO in Afghanistan um, back in 20, uh, 2003 when I started working for them, being in a high school. So the, the group that I'm currently working for is a U.S.-based non-profit organization. I got my job here when I moved to the United States, to the U.S. from how, Afghanistan. How did you end up getting to so, the United States? How did that happen? As I mentioned, I worked for several organizations in Afghanistan. I started working, you know, eventually, I think it was 2007 when I started working for the U.S. government in Afghanistan. So I started the, an organization called USAID that provides humanitarian and development work in, in all over the world. So they, had a, they are in Afghanistan too. So I started working for them. And working for U.S. government, you are eligible to apply for a visa called SIV. It's a special immigrant visa. They started this program for Afghans who work with the military as an interpreters and Afghans who work with the U.S. government. And the reason for that program was because if you work for them, you will be targeted. You are, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being killed or a family member because you work for the U.S. government. So and that's why, you know, people with high risk were eligible for that program. So although I didn't want to move to the U.S. because I wanted to work there and I worked for U.S. funded programs until 2017, 16, I believe, yeah, 16. And then I, you know, because of a lot of security issues, uh, I was given a lot of threats, warnings to leave my job or they will, they will harm me, they will harm my family. So I decided to apply for this uh, special immigrant visa. 
I, I can certainly understand that, and I know as the U.S. began to pull out of Afghanistan, there were a number of people who were not able to leave. Yes, still <laughs> a lot of people there. Yeah, a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of friends and probably family. Yeah. So people who have worked for U.S. government who are eligible for this program, but they are still waiting for their cases to be processed. So, yeah, when I got my visa in 2016, I moved to the U.S. with my family. And and then, you know, moving to a new country as an immigrant, you don't know anyone here. So that's how I ended up in, in the D.C. area. And I started looking for jobs here. Because of my work experience in humanitarian organizations, I was able to get a job with ADRA, the, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency that I'm well, you know, they are very, very lucky to have you because you, you have been there. One of the things that you mentioned in, in some of your information that I reviewed is that there's a very fundamental difference between a refugee and a migrant, and I found that very interesting. Could you explain that difference? I'm going to explain this from my experience. We'll not go to that like kind of bookish definition, but from my experience, you know, migrant has more kind of legal kind of status in in the context, like you are able to get a lot of like help and they give you like, you have the documents, you are kind of free citizen. Refugees on the other hand has usually, you know, their case is not approved. They don't have a lot of resources. And, uh, you know, refugees, uh, specifically in a lot of countries, have camps where they have to stay and wait for their cases to be approved. Both leave their home countries because of violence, because of these other issues uh, that they are facing to, to move to a new country for better life or protected life. But migrants usually they, they get that, I would say, visa or, you know, approval before they move to an, a new country. On the other hand, refugees just, you know, kind of uh, leave the country without having those. Without having much of anything and really knowing yeah. where where you're going to end up. You know, the, the refugee True. challenge now seems to have gotten more and more significant worldwide. Um, People are fleeing countries all over the world to other places and living in camps like you did for most of your young life. What was the most difficult part about being a refugee? I would first call it uh, discrimination and and a lot of racism. Uh, Although refugees, you know, being a refugee, people don't treat you very well. They look at you as someone who is a bad person. Although, you know, leaving your country, uh, leaving your house, leaving your family is not an easy decision people make. And you go to a new country, a new place, you know, with hope to have a better life. But at the end, people treat you very badly because you are not from those communities. You're not from that country. And they think you are like stealing their life or you are getting resources from them. That's a big problem everywhere. I have faced these problems. I wasn't able to go to school up to age nine because I was not able to be enrolled in other schools. You know, I had to wait for a school in the refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a, like a discrimination or, or, you know, racism. They don't want you to 
in their schools. They don't, you know, help you. So life is not easy no matter where you are as a refugee. Some countries have, you know, treat their refu- refugees better than others, but overall it's not an easy life. You know, in talking to you, uh, we've, we've just met, you don't sound bitter. Well, I was always optimistic for my future. You know, I believe that I will have a better life one day. When I started back school, I, I also started learning English, you know, as a mm-hmm. language that will help me get, you know, better education. So being in a refugee camp, it wasn't easy, but I had a hope for my future. And I said, this will end one day. And that's what happened. I'm blessed that my life has changed significantly after, after that time. Was faith a part of it? Yeah, it is always, you know, I work for a faith-based organization right now. So I think faith is part of our job, everyday life. I work with a lot of people who have very, very limited resources. I work in Africa. I work in Middle East and we do humanitarian work in all these countries. So when I travel, you know, I, I visit them. I see these people with, with those problems and challenges. So I, my, I see myself in their life because I have been through those days and I believe in changing lives. Tell us about ADRA. ADRA is an Adventist Development and Relief Agency of uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's a humanitarian faith-based organization. It works in more than 100 countries. Uh, we have been providing support to millions of people in these countries. We basically get funding from the U.S. government for our humanitarian work. We provide services and support to a lot of vulnerable people, people who have issues, problems in all these countries. So there are different types of programs we implement. We do, for example, school feeding programs for children. We provide health services. We provide agriculture, education services. We provide, you know, water, hygiene and sanitation support to to people in, in these countries. We also do emergency work. For example, if an earthquake happened in a country or if there is a disaster, a cyclone, we deploy teams there to help communities recover, provide them food and, and resources when these uh, disasters and emergencies happen anywhere in the world. I was just going to ask you, you must work alongside some other organizations. Are there others like ADRA? Yes, there are a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations working in the field. It's because there's a lot of need in the world. There are a lot of people who are suffering, and one organization cannot reach everybody. So although there are a lot of organizations working in this field, there's still a lot of need, mm-hmm. and people are still suffering everywhere. How many refugees are there in the world today? Can you give me an estimate? They are in millions mm-hmm. uh, all, all over the world. Is there a, a part of the world that has more refugees than others? Yeah, there are some countries that have a lot of refugees. So, for example, in in Pakistan, there are still a lot of Afghan refugees. 
who moved from Afghanistan in, in the 80s and were not able to go back to their country. So Pakistan has has a lot of refugees. Iran, you know, uh, although these two countries are uh, a neighboring country with Afghanistan, that's why a lot of refugees were there uh, went. And then I think Europe, a lot of refugees from Africa and other countries are now moving to Europe or now in the Middle East crisis again. So, And some of these countries are uh, finding ways to not enable refugees to come into their countries. Well, again, yeah, it, and it's because of, you know, their own challenges. They say they have their own issues, problems, politics, and some other issues that impact these, you know, accepting refugees. So, yeah, a lot of these countries don't want too many refugees. And that's why a lot of these humanitarian organizations work and support these refugees. You know, we provide help and support in a lot of refugee camps, in, for example, in South America like Venezuelan refugees, the crisis of war there when it happens. So our organization, ADRA, has helped so many refugees in that region. Are you on call? Do you just one day get a call? You're going to go someplace where there's been a disastrous event or a large number of refugees coming into a country? So I'm not part of the emergency team. The work I do is more on a humanitarian side. So we do uh, kind of more long-term programs either they're refugees or these are people who are not refugees but they have been having uh, issues and suffering from uh, for example like they don't have food or you know schools so we help kind of more long-term programs with these people if someone was interested in making a donation and to assist your cause how would they go about doing that we have two types of donations one is we get funding from the U.S. government and do these humanitarian work. And we also accept private grants. Uh, so private grants is more of uh, getting funding from people. And we use those resources uh, to help others who are in need. Our website, uh, adra.org, A-D-R-A dot O-R-G, has all that information on how to donate and provide support to these people but my you know i always tell people you know even if we can't donate financially it's very important to help others no matter how we could help them being nice to people you know refugees or even if we can't give them financial resources it's still good to you know help people who are emotionally and, and yeah, psychologically impacted by, by these problems. So you're living in the United States, I believe uh, you said Maryland? Yes. And do you have a family? I do, yes. I have my wife with me. I have two boys and, and one girl. The boys were both born in Afghanistan. But when we moved, my older child was two years old. The second child was six months. So yeah. And, and my daughter was born in the U.S. So they didn't experience all that you experienced all those many, many years. Do they have an understanding of where you've come from and how far you've come? I, I, I remind them of how, you know, like teaching them how to help people and the background, you know, the life I had back home and when I was a refugee. 
I feel like, you know, sharing some of these stories with my kids, you know, will prepare them for for the future life, help teach them to help others who have challenges in their life. So I think from very young age, if you teach a child, uh, you know, how to help others, it's going to impact them forever. Uh, they have very good life here. They go to school. They have all the resources they want. So mm-hmm. I kind of remind them of how life was before I was, yeah. Was your wife a refugee also? She was a refugee, a kind of very similar life I had. She was also born in a refugee camp in Pakistan. We didn't know each other that time, but as I say, millions of Afghans migrated to these neighboring countries. Well, you're able to share so many things together and raise your kids here mm-hmm. in the United States. Fahim, if you had an opportunity, if Afghanistan went back to the way it was 50 years ago, we're dreaming right now, right? Um, would you go back? Well, yeah, it's a country I love, as I say. There are a lot of people in that country who are suffering. So if I could help my people there, I would definitely help them. The, the main challenge in that country is the security. If security gets better, I would be able to help my people and, and go back and, and serve those in need. And that's my whole intention here. I work with with a lot of people. I visit camps. I help those in need to very remote areas where people don't have clean water to drink. I have seen kids walk for two miles from their village to get to the school with with no shoes on their feet. So imagine that types of situation where people have that level of, you know, challenges. So, you know, helping these people give you a very good feeling of like you are making an impact. And that also shows a lot of perseverance and resilience, which is what Too Tough to Fail, this program is all about. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about your experiences so people can understand what you've been through and what you're able to do now? Thank you. I just want to share my message that let's let's help people. You might have a good life, but helping others is a very good feeling. It gives you positive energy. And I think it's very important to uh, help others, no matter how you could do that, by giving support, giving them you know, good feeling or helping them with, with the little resources you could share with them would be great. That, that's a message I want to share with everyone. And a beautiful message it is. And again, Fahim Safi is affiliated with an organization called ADRA, A-D-R-A. And you can just Google that and provide a donation to that group or any other that's helping the refugees, the millions of people around the world that are having very, very challenging experiences. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I hope we have a chance to meet in person sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and it was nice talking to you. Thank you so much. Listen to other episodes by visiting our website at www.tootoughtofail.com.